Hi, and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nike Anani, and I'm your host. Forgive the nasal sound, I'm a bit stuffy, suffering from allergies, but it is well. <laughs> Today's episode is awesome with a great guest, Ombretta Mancini. Who is Ombretta? Ombretta is a leadership coach, a consultant, and facilitator who works with next-gen leaders in family firms. So in this episode, we unpacked communications, culture, and leadership. And Umbretta had so many layers of wisdom, I don't want to even spoil it for you. So tune in and enjoy. Hello, Umbretta. Welcome to The Connected Generation. It's so great to have you today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, this should be fun. Yes. So you are into coaching, particularly of next gens and family businesses, and you're passionate about culture mm-hmm. and leadership. Can you just tell us more about your journey, how you got to doing what you're doing today? So I fell literally into the leadership development space um, close to 15 years ago. I, I came from the education space, children, and I ended up educating adults, which didn't always make that much of a difference, but the skills were still the same. Um, and I was, I, this was back in the US and I worked for um, a few consulting firms, both in the Boston and DC area, mostly as on the program management side of things. So developing and um, directing large transformational leadership projects, both across the public and private sector. And it was a fairly fulfilling career. It was really interesting. Um, I completed my degree in organizational innovation because of how how fascinating I found that aspect. Um, I didn't really know that training and development was an industry. It wasn't something that I was aware of. I had attended trainings at work, but I hadn't connected the dots that there would be actually a whole movement and as it turned out, a a billion dollar generating industry. So I, like I said, I um, enrolled, I transferred my my major, I was majoring in education in elementary education and I switched and I moved over to organizational innovation. And I continued along that path, got a couple of other certifications. And then about five or six years ago, it, I, I didn't feel fully fulfilled in that role. And I started to look around as to what, what else could I do? Where could I take my career next? Um, I, I was aware of coaching as a service. Our consulting firm offered it. And then, but I didn't really fully understand was what it was. As I would say, the majority, majority of the populace across the globe, the industry has not been extremely clear in helping make that create an image within Mm -hmm. the general population of what coaching does and what it doesn't do, but how it can help and how transformational it is. So I enrolled in the coaching program and it it turned my life around. And I don't say that lightly. I've had a lot of life-changing experiences, but it it really shifted my perspective um, of how I saw myself, how I saw the world, how I wanted to contribute to it, the work that I was doing, um, and the things that made me realize that I needed something different is because everything in my life was okay. I had an okay job, and I was in an okay house, and I had an okay relationship, and Mm. 
And that scared the living daylights out of me. I was like, I, we're not meant to live just an okay life. Um, mm. And I did. So I, we, we sold everything. We moved to Australia. Like we did, some, we made, my husband and I made some big changes and it's been an evolution since. And it's um, probably one of the biggest lessons for me has been the accepting, appreciating, and now striving for continuous growth. Mm. So Ombreta pre-coaching was very much driven to have the right answer. I was in class, always the one with my hand up. I, you know, I was the know-it-all. And through coaching, I discovered that the magic is in the question, not in the answer. And that's where I like to live. Mm. I don't always succeed in that. It's a, it's a work in progress. I love that. I love that you said, you know, it's not necessarily about living an okay life, the nice, tidy mm-hmm. tick box. And it was really a desire for more. So yes. along that journey into coaching, what obstacles did you face? I'm sure um, <laughs> well, we all have obstacles in our journey. Most, mostly personal in the end. Mm. Um, not like from a personal relationship perspective, but just me creating my own barriers, me, my, my own assumptions and belief system around what was possible or not. Um, there's, there's a person that I know in a mastermind that I follow. And he, the other day, he said something I thought it was, um, are you thinking of what's possible or are you thinking of what's allowable? And I thought that was, that was a great question because in the end, we limit ourselves based on whatever reality we've chosen to own, whatever truth we've decided is the truth of what's possible and what's acceptable. And that it goes from business to personal relationships to um, whatever it is, like just following your dream in general, whether that's starting your own business moving to a remote island, not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the judgment of yourself and of others is what really stops us from moving forward. And that is something I constantly need to check. And I can relate 1000% with everything <laughs> you're saying. <laughs> the judgment of self and really delving into more of a self-compassionate mindset, I found to be incredible in enabling me to see the possibility as opposed to what's allowable that's I can really relate to that 2020 has been (laughs) (laughs) an interesting decade and we still have like six or seven more weeks of this decade to go how Mm. has it been to you interestingly enough not that different um having most of my business done online anyway, things didn't necessarily shift. Um, if anything, I think the coaching industry has grown because people have, people are desperate for some sort of relief in yeah. whatever form that can come. Um, usually the, the first relief is of a financial nature. So 
is my job secure? Can I get assistance from the state? Can I like, what can I, can I cut some expenses? So I think that, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, the basic needs. And, but we, part of that was also, how do I, how do I make this okay somehow? How do I figure out a way to navigate this? And I, I don't know what's happening and we're not, we're not wired that way. Our brain does not do well with uncertainty. Part of the mm-hmm. stories that we make up that what we were just speaking of is due to our makeup, our, the way we're neurologically wired. You know, if we, if we see a story and it's not completely full of all the details, our brain will fill in the gaps before it'll take action. Mm-hmm. And living in a, in a space where nobody has the answers. There's no book you can read. There's no webinar you can sit in on. Mm-hmm. Everybody's making their best guess. Um, we, we've never lived through something like this. We weren't equipped for it. Um, it's been certainly, it's shuffled quite a few things, even in the workspace. I think a lot of people have really reprioritized what's important to them and what the expectations are of work of what what's important to them you know Mm -hmm. where where they're going to put their effort Um, it's changed uh, cities people are migrating away from the cities now that working from home is a possibility well do I have to live in the city or can I go somewhere where there's a little more green and the the pace of life is a little slower and it's really um, changing the fabric at of the way we of society at all levels and a global impact. So something like this is, we've never experienced it in any of our living lifetimes. So Mm. it's been an exploration and a a fascinating social experiment, if anything. Yes, indeed, indeed. So just switching a little bit onto family businesses and next gens, just wanted to know, like, why are you so passionate about this space and the work that you do, particularly leadership and next gens? So it was part of my the the growth of my business. I I didn't launch my business um, thinking that I would work with family business. They weren't, frankly, if I'm being very honest, not even on my radar. Um, mm. I started coaching pretty much anyone who would want to be coached. I wanted the experience. I wanted to try different things. So I did life coaching and I did career coaching and I did um, finding my purpose coaching. And, mm. and I tried a few different things until I, re- and until I decided kind of where I felt more drawn to. Um, I knew fairly early on that I wanted to work in the business space, mostly mm. because we spend most of our life at work and with a group of people that we didn't choose. So my idea was if I can help people get along in that space, in that context, the ripple effects of that are maximized because then they're bound to take that home to Hmm. their families and friends. And, and so I was getting a bigger bang for my buck. I suppose I was able to affect change in more people by focusing on the workplace. Um, the thing that shifted was at a certain point, I realized I just didn't, I didn't want to just coach in corporate or I didn't want to just coach in the business space. 
part of the reason why I left my employee position, I had been an employee my whole life, is the realization that most businesses didn't walk their talk, where Mm. you would end up working for either larger or smaller organizations. I've worked anywhere from companies that had 20 people to 24,000 people. So, and it, there wasn't um, a mission driving, it was a job. And although the plaque on the wall had nice sounding words, the way they conducted themselves and the way they um, led their staff and the clients they chose to engage with and all of that, it was all driven by the next quarter and less so by Mm. what was their purpose. And I realized I wanted something. I wanted to work with groups of people that felt more aligned to my values. Mm. And so the question I asked myself, who would I be proud of supporting? Who would I be proud of representing? And a lot of it coincided with my move to the UK, where certainly the family business sector is important to the fabric of the country in general. And there's a slightly different um, cultural there's a mm. culture to the economics also and so every you know the US has one culture the Australia has another so I also looked at the context of where I was living and realized okay they feel like an underserved um, portion of the market there's mm. the research and data and frameworks and support and podcasts and magazines and whatever it really addresses business in the broader sense There are dynamics internal to family businesses that are not present in non-family businesses. There are some similarities for sure, but there are some uniquenesses to it. And I felt that the, um, that the industry as a whole wasn't necessarily addressing that in a bold way. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to, to be able to impact that. The idea that family businesses think in generational cycles and not next quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, Their higher tolerance for risk because it's an investment, inherently an investment in their people. It it just makes it for, I don't know that if better or worse from where I'm sitting, it feels better. It's certainly Mm -hmm. more aligned with my values and something, an idea and a movement that I can definitely get, that I could get behind, so. That's really incredible. And zoning in specifically on next gens, you know, next gens often face gaps in perspectives and understanding mm-hmm. the elder gen. And often we see communication gaps. Do you have any ideas on how this intergenerational communication gap can be bridged in family businesses? I think the intergenerational gap is is present in general in society. So if you look um, even at what ha- what's happening in the world right now, the, the gap mm-hmm. between beliefs and um, values and priorities and even the way we communicate, the yes. generations are very different. So that reality is heightened and even more so in, in mm-hmm. family businesses where it's also charged with a set of unspoken expectations and potentially, you know, the guilt trips and the, Mm -hmm. um, the misalignment of vision and the communication piece is, is probably the most important part 
um, mm. of family businesses. It is the number one reasons why family businesses don't make it from one generation to the next. Mm. Most, um, I think it's something like 80 or 85% yeah. of them fail yeah. for non-business related issues. And mm. to me, that's crazy because it's totally fixable. Everything is fixable. Um, who is it? Marie, Marie Folio. Everything Folio is figureoutable. Everything is figureoutable, yes. <laughs> but, and with that said, while it's simple, it's not necessarily easy because um, mm. they are emotionally charged dynamics that require a desire to find a solution. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where most struggle because the desire is you hang on to wanting to make a point and you miss making yourself understood. And that's where the divide happens, where you're not willing to relax things and say, okay, this is what I believe. You clearly don't believe the same. Help me understand why. What is it about what I'm presenting that you are so viscerally opposed to? And when you start teasing the knots out, funnily enough, it, it's not that different. You're, you're both often saying the same thing, same just thing. with an em emphasis. Ultimately, the goal is to see the family business succeed. So that is one area where there is an overlap of desires. Mm. And one way to work your way out of a disagreement or a conflict is um, Marcus Buckingham calls it, look for the light. So where is it that, what is it that is already good? Where is it that we agree? Where is, where is it that we already have a common consensus? And mm -hmm. can we build our way from there? Because mm -hmm. when you're trying to work your way back from opposite ends of a spectrum, mm -hmm. the journey is a whole lot farther and tougher and um, more challenging. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, let's acknowledge that on these things we differ, what do we agree on? And it's really about shifting the perspective um, to more of a solution focus. Okay, what do we have that we can work with? Mm. Let's, let's agree that these will, this is still a problem. We're still divided on our opinions on this. But trying to work from that space will just exasperate the division. And so you have to at some point look. And it is, and I want to, clarify this isn't about compromising because a compromising mm -hmm. is a lose-lose um, conversation nobody gets what they want this is about co-creating something and that's harder because giving up something giving up a little piece of what you want is a whole lot easier than untangling things mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. a longer process but it's a more sustainable one if we sit down and we have that tough conversation and maybe we walk away and everybody gives each other a timeout and then we come back and we continue the conversation, you know, if things are a little bit heated, but committing to, we are not walking away from this table until we are both satisfied with what we come up with. That is something you can live with. Some, that's something that you can carry forward. Conversations like, okay, well, fine. We'll just do it your way is just yeah, pushing the can down the road. Mm. and it's going to bubble up in a of different course. format, a different context, different players, but you haven't resolved it. You've just ignored it for now. 
And sometimes, sometimes that is necessary. Like if you really reach an impasse, you're like, okay, you know what? Let's park this for now. And we'll come, but you, you commit to coming back to it later. Maybe it's an, when it's a less sensitive topic, maybe when you've both gathered some data, some perspective, some, some advice, some booze. I don't know, whatever it is that helps you. <laughs> I love what you said about it's not about compromising but about co-creation I think that's just, absolutely that is so meaty in itself and is so apt with family businesses with political ideologies when society is just so apt and there's so much to say on that I wanted to talk a bit about culture and values Mm -hmm. you've been working with family businesses now um, what have you seen in terms of what are the values that make family businesses successful not to obviously say you know there's a checklist and it's a plus b plus c equals yeah but just what are those values that you've seen that make family businesses successful and if a next gen for instance wants to build a strong culture in the family and in the business, what tips do you have for for them to do so? I think the values piece is a very personal one. Um, there's definitely an emphasis on the people, the relationships. Um, that is fairly common. Whether they're healthy or not, they're still important. They, they're more so um, you know, in a, in a non-family business, if you don't like your job, you just quit and you go get something else. Mm-hmm. In a family business, it doesn't quite work that way, either because yeah. you've invested a lot of yourself in it and you want to see that through, or there's an expectation that you stay there. Um, so relationships are probably more key than in family businesses than they are in non. You don't really have the option necessarily of quitting. You can, like, of course, it's all, all possible, but the, the choice is a lot harder. It comes with a lot more entanglement than it does. Um, and with the relationship is just the people aspect of it. I mean, many, many family businesses will hear you say, my staff is like my family. Yeah. It's, and that comes with its pros and cons. So it's also like a different conversation, but it's about the, that would probably be one value that I've seen one in priority, one driving force across the family businesses is that for their their people, the not only the people that work for them, the people that they serve, just relationships in general have a come with a, a stronger charge than they do. They, they're not, it, it's less transactional and more relationship. Indeed, completely. Oh, and there was a second half to your question about the generation. Yeah, culture. The culture piece. Um, mm. Culture is tricky because there isn't a, a one size fits all. There isn't a right way of doing culture. Um, for me, it's more about reverse engineering from, um, I, I equate it sometimes, I compare it to like a soup. So you have a, a number of ingredients and that those ingredients are going to give you a certain flavor. And it's about, do I enjoy that flavor? Do I need a different flavor? And based on that, what do I need to add or take away to, to tweak that taste? 
And so it'll really depend on kind of the makeup of the organization, the industry that you're in, the cultural background, what belief system you come to. Um, are your family dynamics healthy? Are they less healthy? Are, are they helping? Are they contributing to moving the business forward or are they not? And it's, it's like a dance. So there's a music and mm. you need to figure out how are you going to move and sway so that you're working with the music and mm. not against it. And that takes attention. It takes the willingness to call your ideas and your contributions into question. Um, similar to what we were talking about earlier, it's about having your decisions driven by a vision and yeah. make that really strongly your guiding line for everything that you do. And that's about who do I hire? Who do I not hire? Do I have this conversation or don't I have? How do I want to have this conversation? Do I engage in this business relationship or not? Is this a client that I want in my personal sphere? Are they, are they contributing to bringing that vision forward? Um, and those are tough decisions. Those are not easy. And some of it comes with experience and some of it comes with bravery and, and a mm. whole lot of questions, a whole lot of checks and balances and feeling your way through it. Music, you can learn the steps. And at a certain point, once you've learned the steps, then you have to kind of give into the music and let it do its magic. And that transition sometimes can be hard because there's a letting go piece of it that mm. um, is scary. A very very can be very pleasant i love that metaphor that you, you brought up on the music and the dance really very apt and you mentioned earlier in the conversation about a lot of us spend a significant amount of time at work with people that we haven't necessarily chosen and what tips do you have for next gens that desire to lead and inspire teams that they may not have handpicked themselves? How can they become effective leaders in those situations? So I think what the next gen um, brings to the table is their closeness to the next wave of customers. So um, understanding what are the drivers behind the new wave of, of, of customers and what is the market going to be looking for and how can they Procreative, be pro, pro, proactive. Sorry, that's the word <laughs> I was looking for. Proactive in in their solutions. Um, in terms of of culture, a lot of it also, as I was saying, depends on who you have on your team. And so, as you step into that role and you get to shape that that culture being mindful of who you bring into your circle. So skills are important because the job needs to get done, but it's also about how is that person going co to contribute to the overall feel of the organization. Mm. Um, and there, there are ways probably better and more recent and uh, ways of selecting staff and finding talent. And it, it sort of becomes a multiplying effect because when you have a culture and an organization where people feel acknowledged and accepted and included, 
then it'll be easy for you to attract the top talent because the word is going to get out. Vice versa, the same will happen. Mm -hmm. If the culture within your organization is very structured and rigid and does not offer opportunities for growth, which are important to both millennials and Gen Zs, then it could be harder for you to attract talent um, and Mm -hmm. to keep it because you might be able to attract it, but it won't stick around. So having an eye, you are the future voice. Mm. Act like it. Make choices that will carry you into the future. Um, But also recognize that you don't have to reinvent the wheel, that there are some things of the past that you might be able to build on similar to what we were talking about earlier it's really about what is it that where do we agree what is working what do we keep and what can we change Mm. and not not do that because it isn't working always do that so it to strive for better so okay so we're doing this this way is there any way we can improve it Mm. so be that voice of innovation be that voice that introduces new ideas a key will be how you introduce them. Yeah. So introducing new ideas as the end all be all. You could. <laughs> then you can let me know how that goes. <laughs> or as a critic. Or as a criticism. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes, that, absolutely. That, that won't go down very well. I can tell you absolutely. that from experience. It doesn't. No. <laughs> Questions. Questions is what I, I started saying yeah. that that's where the magic is. So saying, you know, what do you think of this? How would how would doing this change the way we operate? Mm. And then co-creating that solution. And that takes patience. Really change is change is hard. We are not wired for our la- our brains are lazy. We will take the path of least resistance every single time. So when you choose to own the title of agent of change, know that that comes with challenges. It comes with interesting dynamics um, because you are fighting against biology, Mm -hmm. not necessarily against a a pattern. So Mm -hmm. a, a, a person, sorry. So understand that trying to, the communication piece is going to benefit you immensely. Understanding um, what, what part of my idea is a no, because it's likely not mm, an entire not no. the whole thing. Mm. Okay, but what part of it, like what would, need, what would we need to change to make this a yes? And that gets the conversation going. And maybe the first answer back is none of it. It's all rubbish. Okay, great. Really? Like if only 2% of it were true, or if only 2% of it were valid, were valid, what would that be? And then you start to pull that thread and then you build from there. Mm-hmm. And the questions give you data. When you ask open-ended questions, then you figure out, okay, so that's the part of this that you don't like. You don't, okay well, we could change that because we could do it this other way. And that's where your creative ideas and that's where your uh, fresh contributions, that's where they are of biggest value. But Mm. you have to be willing to walk people along 
And this mm-hmm. happens in non-family businesses too, yeah. when you have a team uh, mm-hmm. where there's a really innovative leader, right? And he comes in or a new CEO that comes in and sweeps everything up because we're going to change the whole thing. People freak out. Of course. Because it's like, oh, what is it? What, what is he doing? Like what's happening? I don't know what's next. So clearly communicating not only your idea, what you think the possible outcome is of that, what are the benefits of it, um, almost like a pitch, like really make is. sure that you're, you're presenting the whole picture because you've had time to sit with this idea and you've had time to tease it out and to, and now all of a sudden you're just vomiting this idea. And, dumping and, it. Exactly. And now, and you're upset that people are not like all super excited about it, but you've been sitting yeah. on this idea for six months. You've had time yeah. to marinate yeah. in it and metabolize it. And it was your idea. So mm. clearly you're passionate about it. Give people time to catch up, give them information. Mm. So mm, no's usually come from, they're rarely, rarely an actual no. They're, I don't mm-hmm. understand, I need more information. Um, or there's a piece that you haven't seen. There could be like your idea mm-hmm. is misplaced because there's a part of the mechanism that you haven't taken into account or that you're just not aware of. And so helping talk that through, then that's where you come to a solution where everybody, that everybody get, can get behind. And buy-in will be essential yeah. for that idea to come to life. Otherwise, every every interaction is going to be a negotiation. You can shove an mm-hmm. idea down somebody's throat, but they're not going to like it, and they're going mm-hmm. to continue not liking it until they understand it and own it. So mm-hmm. might as well do the work up front and then make it a more pleasant experience as you, as you dive into this new endeavor, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Like, you've given so many like wisdom bombs (laughs) tips that save years literally of fumbling around in the dark and trying out things that will not work so that was incredible incredible tips my last question for you are you excited about the future and what do you wish to see in a decade by 2030 what do you wish to see I'm always excited about the future Every time, every day I wake up, it's like, okay, I get to do this all over again. Um, I think I would really like to see businesses led in a more conscious, inclusive, mm. accepting manner. Mm. And this is true for both family and non family. It's true for just yeah. the way we live as a populist global leadership in general just and that that'll take time I want to see my my hope is that we become a little bit braver Mm. and then we become a little bit kinder Mm. and that that ripples through organizations families countries Um, I think we can all agree that the last few years have been years of hurt Clearly there's something that isn't working Mm. and similar like to a family business. It's Mm. time we sit down and we have a nice heart to heart and figure Mm. out, okay, what isn't working for you? Mm. And the more, the more divide 
the more we point fingers, the more we we claim to be the sole owners of the good person title, mm. the less progress we're going to make. So we have to be willing to question, to ask, like, what is going on? What, what future do I want to create? Mm. Whether it's for myself, for my family, for my family business, for my community. And then how do I get there? Mm. And, and take actions every day towards that bravely, kindly. And I, I don't know, I, it might be naive, it might be simple, but, but I, I love it. <laughs> it just to me that it, it, nothing it. else makes sense. Yeah, nothing else at this point in time. Because this kind of sucks. So yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Figure, just a little suck. Let's figure out a better way to do this because this yeah. isn't working for me. Yeah, and for about seven billion other people as well, it's not yeah. working. <laughs> Yeah. Incredible. Thank you so much, Ambressa. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how best can they get hold of you? Oh, um, sure. I'm, well, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on all social media platforms. And my website is www.ownyourstep.com. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from people. So, yes. Awesome. So we'll include that in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Awesome. Wow, where does one start? That was so loaded, so meaty, so wise. But for me, the greatest takeaway is the importance of questions. I wholeheartedly agree with Ombretta that I think one of the greatest things we can give people is the opportunity to discover the answers for themselves. The give them a playing field to you know play with curiosity and discover the answer that works for them. And so using questions is really important. The danger though in you know taking this approach in asking questions is there's a distinction between asking questions and questioning, <laughs> right? In questioning, it's a critic's mindset. In asking questions, it's non-judgmental. And in questioning, it's like you're marking the answers. In asking questions, it's almost giving room to discover the answers together with whomever you're asking the questions with. Preaching the answer, like I said, is usually not the way particularly with matters of the heart. And when it comes to family businesses, I would say most things are probably matters of the heart. Sometimes it seems like it's an entrepreneurial business decision, but really when you peel the layers, you discover that it's actually quite an emotive one. And so giving room for people to discover answers themselves through this process of discovery and curiosity. So they have their aha, aha, That aha moment is a moment that you should really cherish because you can't take away an aha from someone. So awesome. Thank you so much for joining in this week. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you leave a review and a recommendation. Take good care. God bless.